This is Episode 8 with Tiffany Goodman. Hello, and welcome to the Creative Strings Podcast. I'm Christian Howes, violinist, educator, and music business entrepreneur. I hope these interviews will inspire you to be creative in your life, in your art, in your business, in every way. So without further ado, let's get to it. Welcome to episode eight. I'm excited about today. I've been wanting to bring in the business topic. We've done a little bit of that before with Randall Williams in episode two. He was a self-represented singer-songwriter. He did some amazing things. You can check that out. Go to christianhouse.com and look for the show notes there. But today we're bringing in a business person, straight up business. Tiffany Goodman is a self-starting booking agent. She started her own agency a few years ago and she's on fire. She's doing great stuff. So really excited to really have the conversation today with that straight up business person for artists or anybody in the music business. And I want to thank our sponsors at the Electric Violin Shop because I'm a violinist and an electric violinist. <laughs> so I need to make sure that I sound good. It's not just about the instrument. It's about all the gear the pickups, the amplification, the strings, a lot of variables to consider, <laughs> effects, loops, and even just to get a great sound out of a violin amplified. It's a tricky thing. So I'm grateful for my friends at the Electric Violin Shop. They make life better for me. Check them out at electricviolinshop.com slash creative strings. And let's get into this great conversation with Tiffany Goodman. <laughs> So we're here with Tiffany Goodman. Tiffany, thank you so much for joining us at the Creative Strings Podcast. Thanks for having me. So I just want to jump right into it. People are going to be able to find out about you on the show notes page. If you go to christianhouse.com, look for the Creative Strings Podcast. You can learn all about Tiffany's exciting background and credibility. This is a topic that I'm so excited about, and I'm so excited to have you on because I know that you are a straight shooter and you're a <laughs> you're a hustler, you're self-made and you are in the trenches every day. How much time would you say every day or every week you spend on the phone? Just on the phone, not doing any other nothing else with the business, just on the phone? Sure. I, I try to shoot for a minimum 6 hours a business day, wow. minimum. Now, something important to note here cuz 6 hours alone sounds insane. Um, keep in mind, we're talking about the whole country. So that is three different time zones that allows me to expand. So we're not talking a nine to five in one time zone. We're talking from LA to New York. Wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you're on the phone six hours a day and presumably you're selling. Is that what it is? Largely, yeah. That's basically what the phone calls are all about. And a lot of them are cold calls. As the years go on, you do become more comfortable. Um, you start filtering your list based on perhaps the type of artist you are, or in my case, the roster that I have, so that I can make sure that my calls have strategy and are effective. But yes, a majority of these calls would be to either cold call or perhaps follow up. And that follow up could be from a call that started a couple of weeks ago or even something that started a year ago and it's still in conversation. Just to put this out plainly to, I think it's going to be a lot of musicians listening to this, musicians who want to be working, who want to have gigs, you know, as a musician, that's all I want. You know, I play the violin. <laughs> I want to just somebody pay me to go play. You know, that's what we all want. Sure. So six hours a day on the phone selling. That's amazing. 
I mean, obviously, this sales component is huge. For any musician who wants to get more gigs, the bottom line, I think you would agree, is they need to ask, right? They need to get on the phone, on the email, yeah. or in person asking for gigs, right? But can we back up a little bit and we'll dive deeper into that? Can we talk about what are the components of success for a working musician besides the sales component? Sure. Naturally, I actually see myself not much different than, for example, a restaurant owner. We're all business owners at the end of the day. We are all selling a product. And I think the most challenging part for musicians, perhaps compared to a visual artist or someone who makes jewelry, is that it's not tangible. You can mm. argue CDs, but a large part of what a musician is doing is offering a service through their music. Mm. And they don't know how to price it because it's not, here's this bracelet, it's $15 and we know market price. So market price is a good start. You have to know what your product is and you have to know how much it is worth. And it does have a certain value. I just think a lot of artists don't know what that secret formula is. And when I say it, I think it's going to be, oh, and perhaps maybe even a rude awakening. And this is kind of, for me, this I would almost consider the do or die. You're either in it to win it or you're not. And the reality is the value of your music when you're in a venue is basically how many tickets can you sell. Mm. And if you're the musician and if you're in that point of your career and you say, well, I've never been to Kansas City. Um, I don't know that I could sell any tickets there. Well, the reality is, is you're probably worth the door deal, but you have to be okay with that. You have to have the confidence behind your product. No different than perhaps a chef who wants to open up a restaurant of a new cuisine has to put their confidence and business skills and talent behind that. So this so, is so about value then. You're talking about how you price yourself. And it sounds like you're talking about in this scenario where you're touring and playing in a theater where they're selling tickets, but there are other scenarios where musicians can work, right? I mean, they could play a wedding or a private party. Oh, good point. Good point. Naturally, as an agent, I tend to tunnel into more of the PACs or clubs. But of course, um, whether that be if you prefer to do weddings, you need to know what the market value is and you need to know your worth. No different than a restaurant needs to know how much is it okay to charge for a sandwich. The sandwich is $5. We can all say that's reasonable. This sandwich is $70. I'm sorry, what? Is it laced in gold? Um, and, and music is no different. The challenge with musicians is that they just simply don't study the market and know what it is. And it's in, I'm not, by study, I don't mean textbook. I just mean simply talking to peers. Mm. Perhaps more effective would be a mentor who already is out there mm touring sure. that you would feel comfortable asking. I think a great asset would be a presenter, actually. You know, a lot of presenters, presenter meaning a person who is programming in a performing arts series, for example, a lot of them are connected to universities. Mm. I would like to think that the students could feel comfortable going to that person who's in charge and ask, what is this scene like? I want to be a musician on the stage. What's going on behind the scenes? Mm. What, what should I know as a musician so that I could be successful and desired on the stage? That's great. So yeah, getting feedback from the buyers. So talking a lot about how you value yourself and how you you know put a value on the, the services you do, I think that's super important. So I want to start with those three or four components. First of all, sales. Second of all, marketing. Third of all, a record label and fourth PR and maybe in that order we're going to come back to sales because we talked about it mm -hmm. you're on the phone six hours a day that's one example of one kind of selling that you do but what about marketing let's talk about marketing I mean by that I mean you know do you need a flyer or an email sure. or a website like what does a musician need in terms of the bare bones basics to have something that can support the sales effort in your opinion 
glad you worded that way because that's what I was about to say is that it's not so much that these different components are each selling separately, but rather that things like PR and marketing are used to support the sales call. The most important is to really know what your project is and be able to define it. And this is where a lot of musicians fall off the tracks because I don't know how many submissions I get for the for my roster, and I can't really understand what the purpose of the project is. I might listen to something on iTunes that they send me and that I like, but at the end of the day, I still need to translate it to a presenter, to a buyer, and that buyer needs to present it and sell it to an audience. What do people if, need to submit to you? If somebody's asking for Tiffany Goodman of Goodman Artists, to represent them as an agent, what is the package that they need to give you? Because that's what we're talking about is basically right. those marketing material. Exactly. What are those components that they need to give you? I have this listed on my website as well. What's going to be the most helpful for any musician is already have your website designed and make sure that when you're designing it, it is focused both on your fans but also on presenters so that they could see what type of programs or projects that you are offering. I like to see separate bios, good images. I'm not talking about something that was taken off of your cell phone, but something that was professionally done, both posed with your instrument, candid, things that would be appropriate in a brochure, something that would make the trails of coming through me and going to a buyer and into the hands of an audience. Video is super important. You have to keep in mind that agents and buyers do not have time to sit through every submission thoroughly of what they're receiving. What's going to happen is they're all going to go pretty much through rounds. And the way you get past that first round is not, frankly, necessarily going to be immediately your music. It's going to be what did this packet first look like when I opened it. If it's in you know, pencil and crayon, I'm probably going to shove it to the side and not even listen. If I see someone who actually put the time and energy in making a concise, perhaps a press kit, who sent me repertoire, of course, there are slightly different ways to do this based on the genre and instrument you're playing. But someone who sent me the CD, someone who sent me professional video, if I see that an artist, a musician took the time to do that, I'm going to respond by offering my time. That's great. So a video is crucial and the video has to have decent production values, but more importantly, it has to be kind of to the point or does it need to be live or produced? I'm going to assume that you're just going to say it just has to be good, right? (laughs) Well, you know, I actually do prefer live shows, but I understand that it's always not going to be possible. Mm -hmm. We all understand that. I suggest having a three-minute commercial, basically something that you feel within three minutes well defines what you are doing. I encourage having some dialogue. Don't let it take up your music, but equally important, equally, not more, not less, equally important to the music is that the musician knows how to engage the audience Mm. when they're talking. I don't know how many concerts I've gone to where I might think that the music is great, but the musician is not making any sense or not talking at all. So you're not feeling 100% connected. And that's important for people like myself to see and know exists, especially because if there's any awkwardness on the stage, we need to make sure that that's all filtered through, that that's not going to be a scenario that happens. Well, that's interesting. Also, I think it jives with everything I've learned about marketing, which is that you want to show people a human side, an authentic side. You want to give them an opportunity to get to know you as a person. So saying a few words in front of the video camera, you know, hi. I'm Chris Howes. I play the violin and I really enjoy jazz music and we love to have a good time, you know, or something, whatever it is, even if it's just something really short, it gives people a chance to kind of get to know you. So a short, well-made video 
could be live, could be studio, or it could be maybe a commercial, as you mm-hmm. said, and a couple good photos, as you said. And maybe, Going back to the video, mm-hmm, though, the, the, yeah. that's just one video. I would suggest having your three-minute – because keep, keep in mind when I talked about rounds, the three minutes hopefully going to get you into the next round and make me say – I want to know what a full performance looks like. Mm. So then I go into the full performance stage. Um, and this one, I if you can get really good live, I would say that's preferred because your audience's reaction is going to speak volumes. If you have an audience who's applauding you, giving you a standing ovation at the end, that says something. And I'm not saying it's a bad thing if it has to be perhaps pre-recorded and staged, not live. It's definitely not unimportant, but it just serves you better. It's a greater asset if you can have a live with audience. Yeah. Well, I've got to speak about that too, because for years I've been struggling to get good videos and, you know, it can be expensive and really time consuming to make mm-hmm. really quality videos. And the bar has been raising in the last few years. You can't just put any old cell phone video on YouTube anymore and have it stand out because people are getting better and better. And so I would almost recommend from my standpoint to people to do as much as you can with what little you have, even if it means that you record against a blank wall in a quiet room in your house, but you know, you get the best audio you can, you get the best lighting you can, you dress up really nice, you do a nice performance. I think that that could be better than sometimes having like some crappy looking live performance at a club. I mean, would you would you agree or certainly. I mean you could be performing at the fanciest venue and, and it can look all nice, but if the quality doesn't come out, it won't really do you much good. Yeah. So absolutely, especially if you're new. But I think what I would backtrack to is, you know, if you're not playing in a venue at all, or if the rather, if the reason that you're playing in your closet is because you're not playing in a venue at all, mm-hmm. I would safely say that it would be premature to send to an, an agent. agent. Right. right. It would be premature to send to a performing arts center. Right. But okay to send to club, especially at the door deal stage. There's no harm in that. That's great. No, I appreciate you making that distinction because we are really talking to a broad audience of musicians, some of who may be really just starting or or just trying to get more functional work, you know, even trying to get work as a sideman with another band leader. And that person could do fine with just a nice video in their basement, you know, with them against a wall. Whereas if you want to get a, a bigger tour at established venues, then we're going to have to talk about these scenarios that you're talking about with much higher level production values. And it's, right. a, it's a bigger investment. I appreciate that. Let me backtrack a couple of notes on the photos. So for photos, the, the quick tips that I would have are make sure your face is recognizable. Yes, it's cool to do some crazy artwork, but if you are fresh to the scene, you have just started your branding and we need to know your face. Even with your most popular musicians out there, if you ever looked at their tour and looked up each individual venue they were performing at, every picture is the same. And there's a reason for that because they're at a stage where they might be well-known by a majority of people, but there will always be people who are new. And when you're working with that new audience, new buyer, whomever it is, they need to recognize who you are and remember you. A picture says a thousand words. If I don't come up with any words when I see your picture, then there's also a problem there. Your instrument should be included. I should not look at it and say, I'm not sure if an accountant sent me a submission (laughs) or if this really is a piano player. 
player. Right. So those are things to be very mindful of. You want it to be fun. <laughs> you you want it to be engaging, but don't feel the need to go so off track and call it contemporary when we can't even recognize who you are. This is great. Yeah. When I hear you talk about these things, it is very detail oriented and it and it's right on the money. I mean, we're different in that way because I, <laughs> I and I, I really admire those things about you because I wish I had more of that detail orientedness. But at the same time, I feel like a lot of people get distracted by all the bells and whistles out there with so many different social media things and so many different tools when it really does come down to these basic things like you need a good video you need a good photo mm-hmm. and you need can you talk a little bit about the copy because i've heard some people say you need like a five word blurb and then maybe like a paragraph blurb and then like a page long blurb like what do you think about the copy well you know that's interesting i think that would be more of an advanced stage when you're already touring and you have a project that's uh, established or perhaps a record released that's more specific to the project. You know, it's not uncommon, of course, for people to use quotes that might define them. These are all great things to have. But going back to and merging this with the question you asked earlier about, you know, website versus social media, I would say if you are totally fresh, frankly, I'm the kind of person that would say go big or go home. Mm. But I also want to be fair because sometimes people have to tread the waters a little bit to know if this is what they want to do and they might not be prepared to take that full length. So I understand that. Mm. I would suggest to go with social media. Don't overload yourself. Don't feel like you have to have every social media out there that exists. Facebook, of course, is common, Twitter, and utilize it and start building your fan base. What we're really talking about at that level isn't so much, is this going to get me more gigs? It's more about, is this going to get me more fans? because probably the level that you're at is playing in your own hometown and playing as much as possible in your hometown and within the region. It wouldn't be logical, actually, to start anywhere else to create this big, whether it be Facebook or website, and say, okay, I live in Kansas City and now I'm going to go out and try and get gigs in LA. Mm. You need to make home first. You have to prove to home first. Right. So in that case, things like Facebook and Twitter are a great place to start mm. and build your fan base. And your goal should be that you've built it to the point, your hometown area in your region that you want to explore more. And to do that, you will need your website established. All right, good. I would be of the mindset that if someone had a YouTube channel, first of all, or you know, a place where they could get people to watch their videos, and a Facebook fan page that, in theory, a Facebook fan page, you could have you know all the assets that you needed on that page, or maybe a Reverb Nation page, or you know, one of these kind of like band pages where it's just a place where everybody can see your music, you know, hear your music, see the copy, see the photo, and see the video. But basically, it's however you can show people these main components. So these are the marketing pieces. These are the collateral pieces that you need to show people what you do. And then what about PR? What is PR for? I think people get crazy about PR. How do you see that fitting in? PR is definitely a tricky one, especially when you're starting out. A common experience is that most musicians don't know how to even write a press release. And when I was an intern several moons ago, one of the best advice with press releases that was given to me was that it's informative. So basically, you shouldn't feel intimidated by writing a press release. Frankly, if you write one and assuming your project is staying the same, you should feel comfortable to have 
something that's a template where you're really only changing the details of the location of the performance. And this is something that's really good to have and helpful to have for anyone that is booking you, whether that again be the, the club door deal or a performing arts center, so that at minimum the venue will almost always have a press list to be able to utilize it. And you as an artist should feel comfortable using it and delivering that through an e-blast or through a simple email to a press list as well. So they're not unimportant. You just never know. Uh, calendar listings, even if you get that, that could work a great deal for you. You're at a stage of your career where you need to try everything and it's a free resource. You don't pay for calendar listings. You just simply have to cross your fingers and hope you're the chosen one. Right. But it's definitely something that needs to be done. I don't think it's as difficult as many artists might assume it to be. So having a press release template like to promote a gig or for when you have some big project that you're doing, you write a new press release, you send it out to the press. Those are good. But I mean, some people get really obsessed about trying to get features in major magazines or, you know, oh, you know, PR placements. Yeah. Like how important is it to you that a musician shows you a bunch of quotes from the press or reviews? Is that necessary? Is it, I find, first of all, people think that if they get a bunch of reviews, that it's going to sell records or that it's going to get right. them gigs. But I don't think that it necessarily does. On the other hand, I think it doesn't hurt to have a couple quotes that can establish some credibility. But I usually find that artists put too much focus on that where they should be focused more on sales or making a good video or something. But I mean, I'm interested in your take on that. Sure. And so to clarify, but this is actually publicity in two different senses. I was referring more to a, an artist who simply just wants to promote themselves, get their show out, right. not necessarily beyond the front cover of Times Magazine. <laughs> We're obviously talking bigger leagues at that point. How much does a quote matter? That's, um, that's a tricky one. You know, I refer refer to uh, quotes and reviews as what vouches for the artist. Right. There's only one thing across the board that will guarantee you filled dates on your calendar. There's only one thing that I promise if you have it, <laughs> you will get a gig. And that's ticket sales. You can have zero quotes in my book. <laughs> you can have negative five quotes in my book. But if you can sell out even a 300-seat hall, I'll be calling you. <laughs> Good point. Thank you. So what about a record label? And again, I think some of these are things that I feel like people are putting too much emphasis on and they're missing what's the most important. And I'm going to come back to that. Or at least sure. it's just my opinion. But I mean, I personally don't feel that having a record deal is necessarily essential or necessary but it could be helpful. What do you think, how important is it for an artist to have a record or to be on a record label? Well, I, I agree with you on that. I don't feel like a musician should feel that they are earning or not earning the title just because of a uh, record label. I think they should feel with confidence about putting their own work out. So what this really comes down to is it's really about who's on your team. Um, and I think that's a tricky thing um, that we'll probably get into a little bit later of if who's on the team and who's leading the team. The reality is, is that the artist is kind of like the CEO of this team. And then there's the manager and the agent, the publicist, and perhaps even a record label involved. And what's most important above all is that everyone on your team believes in your work and wants to be there with you and is willing to go the mile with you. And if you have a record label that's willing to do that, 
is able to do that, then great. It's an absolute asset. They're going to help in that publicity. They're going to help push your CDs out, get your music out, and support you in the recognition that you need to reach a broader fan base. At the same time, there could be musicians out there who don't feel like they're getting support from their record label and would disagree with that, therefore. Mm-hmm. So it's it, for me, I would say, again, it's not something that does or does not define. It's more about if you can get on a label and that label is helping, great. I agree with that. And I think a lot of times people get lazy if they have a record label or they might get a record deal and then think, oh, now I have a record deal, so I don't have to do anything. And that can be toxic for your career because you're going to not do anything for a year or two waiting for this label. Oh, it's lethal. Sure. (laughs) Sorry. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. It's a death wish. But it's important to show your work, I think. But nowadays, I've even been talking to some young artists about instead of making a record, that you could invest your energy into making a really good video. Just one, you know, I think will take people a long way. And I think, again, it's about don't focus on the wrong things. I'm going to go back to this idea at the end. It's really about sales. But I like you bringing in this idea of the team, talking about the manager, the agent, you know, the different people on the team. I mean, before you get a publicist, (laughs) before you get an entertainment lawyer, before you get a label, maybe before you get a manager, in my opinion, it starts with you have to get on the phone and you have to start selling. You know, you maybe you need to have these basic components that you've already addressed, a good photo, a, one good video or one good audio track, a little bit of copy that talks about what you do. But then you really have to get on the phone and start selling. And before you have a manager, an artist is going to be their own manager and their own agent. So what's the difference between a manager and an agent? Well, the truth is that there's no strict definition of either. At the end of the day, what it's really going to boil down to is who can and is willing to do what. So I'll I'll offer the broad definitions, but just know that this is very much a varied field. So an agent is essentially the person who is on the phone booking your engagements. That is largely their number one task. They are there to attend perhaps conferences to meet venues, perhaps do a little bit of traveling to meet venues, or they might be so well established that they pretty much have their Rolodex on speed dial. And this is going to be the person that connects you to the venue. This person is going to be very important because especially if you're a lesser known artist, you're likely being sold under that name and the trust of that agent has, or rather I should say the the trust that the buyer has Mm -hmm. with that agent. And this is why it's very important to supply your agent with everything that you need to work well together in a team because the reality is you are very likely at a point where the buyer is buying something that the agent proposes because of the relationship with the agent because they trust the agent and that the agent knows has worked long enough with them to know what their audience likes and knows that this is a good fit. Even if perhaps that presenter has never even seen you live, this is a huge asset of having an agent. Or at least it can be, right? Because there could be, in in some scenarios with an agent, it might be that the musician 
has a relationship with somebody, but then they pass that person on to the agent to negotiate the gig, right? Oh, absolutely. So that's, of course, a different level. When I started, I was largely referring to people who might be more fresh on the scene. Got it. But for those that perhaps have been successful as a self-represented artist, Mm -hmm. yes, you also want to make sure that that person, that agent, is also someone who's committed to making these calls because what your responsibility will be to give that list of your contacts, people that you feel are interested in promoting your work and handing it over to the agent to close the deal on. I want to talk about that more. (laughs) I know Uh, you do. (laughs) (laughs) So the agent is somebody who is selling on the phone and booking engagements. And then the manager is basically someone who's doing everything else, kind of coordinate. It could be coordinating the day-to-day, but it could also be in coordinating this kind of long-range vision, coordinating right. all the different components of the team, right? And if you don't have a manager, if you're not making enough money yet or whatever, then basically as an artist, you are the manager. And if you're lucky, maybe you'll get in a relationship with an agent and then you have to really you know, support that agent. So one of the misconceptions that I've found that a lot of artists have is that they think that There's going to be a manager that's just going to hear them and think, oh, this is a great artist. And then that manager is going to just offer to just make their career for them. And I find this to be a huge misconception or or that an agent is going to see some diamond in the rough, you know, some artist and just based on their talent that the agent is going to work with them. Do you agree that those are misconceptions? And if so, why? I would say 99 percent. Yes, those are misconceptions. The reality is, is that. There are agents and managers who are out there scouting. There's no doubt about that. But at the same time, we also have a mortgage to pay and grocery bills to pay. So there's only so far an agent and a manager can go before they're at risk. And risk is a big word here because it's used in the scenario of a buyer taking on a new artist. It's used, you know, can an agent take on this artist because the reality is agents and managers work off of commission. And so we're all weighing out the risk because what's going to happen first is our time is on the front line. And if we don't feel like our time will yield fruit to the labor, then unfortunately the conversation won't go much further. So I would say 99% of the time that is correct. And I say that, of course, because there are people out there, especially in the pop cultural world. I mean, you'll hear stories about being at the right subway at the right time Uh, and the manager heard them. And yes, there are definitely stories out there like that. But if you want to be practical and if you want to be proactive, then the reality is, is that the musician should be following these steps with the goal, perhaps, of being able to supply these materials to an agent. And perhaps from there, the next goal being having enough engagements, having a big enough fan base where our manager becomes necessary and is viable on the payroll. Yeah. I spoke to a one manager at one point who said, until any artist is making at least $250,000 a year, it's not really going to be worth his time because essentially a manager, or at least this particular manager, he was saying he wanted to take an artist who already had business, who already right. was, who already had existing income, and then that manager's job is then to, to manage all that activity that's already happening, not to not to necessarily generate activity from nothing. And I think for a lot of agents as well, they're looking for, you know, an artist, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but looking for an artist that already has marketing materials, has history of succeeding, you know, because has some relationships or some brand recognition. And so this is kind of the catch-22 that a lot of artists are in. And, and that's, you know, why I would advise a lot of artists. It's like, 
create these basic marketing components that you need and make them good, you know, like what you were talking about. Have a really good photo, have a good video, work to have a few different videos or whatever, you know, make your presentation as good as you can and be out there selling yourself. So can we go back to talking a little bit about what is that process of selling? If you're a musician that is in, like you said, Kansas City or Columbus, Ohio or Chicago or, you know, and you just want to go out and you just want to work what are the kinds of things that you can do every day, maybe for an hour or two hours to sell yourself in the meantime before, you know, you get to be be ready to work with an agent? And then later on, we can talk more about maybe how to connect with agents. Sure. So the, what, the one thing to keep in mind is that when we talked about marketing and publicity, those should all be things that you do. They're kind of like your startup costs. Those are things you should be able to set up and prepare. And f- once they're done, it, they should be simpler to maintain. Your, once mm-hmm. your Facebook fan page is done, you've made it look good. From there, it should be simply adding posts. Once your press release is written, from there, it should be just changing minor details. Mm-hmm. That said, because of the bulk of that should be done, no different than making sure you have all your ingredients at the restaurant, mm-hmm. that time should definitely be spent on the phone. You have to know who to call, though, right? And that perhaps was an area that I didn't touch too much on depending on where you're at again if you're if you're someone who's very fresh you should know who are your venues within a three-hour range for example let's go over that let's talk about the different categories so for example let's say clubs okay because there's different venues that you might play depending on what you Mm -hmm. do it could be corporate parties or private parties or weddings or clubs or theaters church services i mean let's talk let's talk about the whole gamut so let's say okay i want to play you know some clubs you know maybe i play uh, jazz or maybe i do some kind of uh, folk music or whatever i want to so you're saying you have to identify those clubs within maybe a 3 hour radius are you saying you should do some research first or or what definitely if it's not something that you already have um, if you haven't gotten to that point yet then absolutely it will take some time to know where the venues are now hopefully in an ideal situation and i definitely encourage musicians to be sidemen whenever they can i think being a sideman is a great way to learn more about the venues, to get an idea of what the audience is about, what appeals to the buyer as a sideman. That's actually a really huge asset that I don't doubt that most musicians are not taking full advantage of. So if you're already a sideman and you're already going on the tour, then it's as simple as making sure you you know where that venue was and how big was it. Was a 2,000 seat hall? Probably not a venue you want to spend too much time promoting to. Was it maybe a, a nice intimate cabaret 150? That's a nice start. Know those kind of details when perhaps you're out on the road as a sideman. Mm. I would say perhaps one of the biggest mistakes I see artists do, artists who, who want to tour, they're not taking advantage of being in the spotlight of that venue. In other words, you're not the headliner, obviously, but more than likely the buyer or someone well-involved has introduced themselves to you at one point to welcome you into their venue. And that's your cue right there to shake their hand and get to know them better. I'm not suggesting that you hard sell them and and abuse that opportunity, but know their name. Get to know them. Ask for a business card. This is how your database is going to start. Make a note of what you talked about so that when you get back home, you can follow up and say, I'm so-and-so, you and I met, it was great meeting with you. Hey, I just want to let you know about a project I'm working on in Mm -hmm. case... 
this could be a fit for you somewhere down the line. And if that's done appropriately, I mean, you didn't have to sit on the computer to find it. You were a side of it. You were being actually paid at that moment to take the five minutes out of your time and promote yourself a little bit. Yeah, right. No, that's great. So let's say you've got a list of all the clubs within three hours. You've got a list of all the uh, wedding agencies or, or, uh, you know, or uh, churches or whatever. Then you've got to get the phone numbers for these people or the email addresses. You can research that, right? So then let's say you're sitting down, you're going to make an hour's worth of calls. How does that go? Like you said, you do a lot of cold calling, (laughs) even though it's not all cold calling, but I mean, you got to start somewhere. So maybe you have to start with a cold call. So what is it? What does that look like for Joe Blow violin (laughs) violin player or you you, like, Hey, I've got a string quartet. I want to play a wedding or I've got a great bluegrass band and we want to come play at your club. We know that you've had bluegrass bands. How do they make that phone call? What would you say about that? This is the elevator pitch is basically what we're talking about. You have about 30 seconds to state your name and define your purpose. And if your purpose is, well, this is a really cool thing I came in, like my mom loves it and it's really, <laughs> it's, it's really cool, obviously they're going to hang up the phone on you. It makes no sense. Right. Versus if you could pick up the phone, for example, for a wedding, hi, my name is so-and-so. I've been playing piano for X amount of years. I've performed at several churches. I'm very familiar with wedding repertoire and I wanted to let you know that I started this flute duo. Um, I'd love to send you more information about it, right? Um, sold. Okay. I'm exactly. sold. Like- I want a flute duo. That sounds great. <laughs> that was a great elevator pitch. You're obviously on the phone six hours a day. You just pulled that out so quickly. I love how fast it was. You got to the point, and that's so crucial. And people are afraid to make these calls, right? Yeah, so- that's true. By the way, I want to make I want to take a second and, and let people know that are listening. You should actually reach out to Tiffany. It's goodmanartists.com, is that right? Yes, artist is plural, so it's uh, Goodman, my last name, goodmanartist.com. So you can reach out to Tiffany there and there's a way to submit, but I think, you know, probably, I think Tiffany, you do do some consultations for different people and and this is the kind of thing, you know, it's so important to have mentors and advisors. I mean, if people want to reach out to me to get advice, feel free, you know, ask me questions along the way. I asked my dad a lot about this stuff because he was a life insurance salesman. And every day I'd be like, dad, how do I handle this situation? How do I make this phone call? What if they say this? What if they, what, you know, how do I do this? You need to have somebody in your corner like that. So I would say it's important to have somebody that you can turn to, to ask for advice. I'm going to say Tiffany Goodman is a great person. Reach out to her at her website, see about doing some kind of consultation with her. You can always ask me for some advice. I'll probably just forward you to Tiffany anyway. But I, I want to make sure that I that I mention that. But it's so important to get on the phone and make those five calls or ten calls every day mm-hmm. and know who you're calling. Someone told me a story about um, Chris Body, and I don't even know if it's true, but it doesn't matter. The story was that in college he had this roommate, and that they had this um, promise they made to each other that they were each going to make five phone calls every day. That's it. Just five phone calls every day. It didn't even matter who, like it was just, I don't know who I'm going to call, but I'm going to think of somebody and I'm going to call them. So whether it's you're calling a club, you're calling some band leader that you want to hire you, you're calling some a promoter at a venue, like you said, and asking them for advice, you know, or calling a booking agent and asking them, Hey, what would it take for you to represent me? You know, you make those five calls or 10 calls every day. Look where Chris body is now. I mean, what do you think about that? Oh, I think it's a great strategy. And I 
think it needs to be put as an item on the agenda, not something that is simply like, oh yeah, that sounds like a good idea. I might do that today. Mm. 10 a.m., whatever it is, dedicate the time. If you're serious about booking a gig, you have to understand that gigs, especially when we're talking about PACs, they book farther out. Performing arts centers. Sorry, yes, performing arts centers. They book generally a year out. So that means it's less likely you're going to get a gig, for example, in this current period, it's less likely you'd get a gig for 1516 because we've already been pitching since last fall. And an agent like myself, who's existing now on my fourth year, I've already been pitching for four years behind you. Right. So you have to understand that this is not something that happens overnight. If you're going into this, if you're going to make the calls, you have to know that it's in it for the long run. Which means you're saying follow up. Well, you're really saying exactly. two, two things. Because the first point that I took from what you said was, You've got a schedule in your calendar when you're going to work. So look at your calendar for the week and say Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday, I'm going to make phone calls from one to two. And do it. it. And do it. Right. Yeah. And this is something that so many musicians, they don't get that like you've got to do the business side too. You can't just be practicing or like making the hang or whatever. So that's the first thing you said. And the second thing was about follow-up. So, okay. So Mm -hmm. you make the phone call the first day and somebody doesn't pick up. So you leave a voicemail maybe and say, hi, this is Chris Howes. I'm a violinist. I'm calling. Or or do you not leave a voicemail? How do you do that? Well, I mean, this is super detailed, but before, and I'll I'll be glad to share what my two cents are on it. But what I really want to voice is that in order to know what to do, you have to know what you want out of this phone call. I want Mm. a gig. I want money. Mm. We got that. What is your goal on this current call? What do you want to know? If this is a new buyer for you, you should engage them in conversation. If if they if you're lucky and you get them on the phone, you want to know more about their venue. Mm. Don't go in blindly. Look them up. Make sure that if you are a classical pianist, you didn't just call a two thousand seat rock venue. <laughs> right. Then you then that that's just lazy. Right. But if you are a classical pianist and you found this nice performing art series with a three hundred seat recital hall and you've seen who they brought in before and you feel like you're consistent to their preference, that's your tool right there to talk about what are you offering and then asking that presenter or two what are your plans for the 15 16 season mm-hmm. describe your project do you think like this is something that could perhaps be a fit may i send you more information about it you do want them to talk you don't want to be and that's why it's called the 30 second elevator pitch because you you need the response back to know where to go from there. Yeah. You're going to get a couple of different responses. You're going to get someone that says, hey, uh, you know, sounds interesting. Let me look. Why don't you follow up with me in a couple of weeks? That's on you to actually, again, do it. Right. Put it in the account. Do it. The second one, you know what? I'm sorry. This doesn't look like my fit. Oh, but no, really. I, I'm, prob- I'm sorry. Let it go. Right. You have to also respect the no. And in my opinion, it's not art if everybody loves it. It has to be subjective. It has to be mm-hmm. talked about. I, I get nervous, actually, if everybody likes, <laughs> you know, I get nervous. <laughs> <laughs> really? Wow. What do you mean? I got to hear. What do you mean you get nervous if, if everybody likes something? You are you mean you don't trust it? Because I just think it's it's too John Jacob Himmelheimer Schmidt for me. Yeah. <laughs> like, do you have any opinion on this whatsoever? Did this really touch you at all? Because, you know, whether you're, it's good or bad, like, you have to say, and sadly, classical, I love classical music, and sadly, it suffers from this, but how many times do you go to a concert, people walk out and say, oh, that was so amazing, and I like to trip them up and say, like, which part? Yeah. Right? Or who did you just listen to? Oh, you know, um, Beethoven. Like, okay, but I mean, and is that it? (laughs) That's great. So they have to make the first call, but then know that it may be many, many more calls, and that involves scheduling in the calendar, follow-ups, and going after 
after it for a long time. Are there any specific tools for sales that you really recommend? Like, uh, I know you use like just spreadsheets or, mm-hmm. or, I mean, basically it comes down to like, you have to have a calendar and you have to have contact lists and the um, phone. To be honest, I, I don't use anything fancy. Um, okay. I, I'm kind of coming to the point where I might start needing to just because of the mass I have, mm-hmm. which is great. It's, it, it's, it's my, it's me going to the next level. But when you're starting off and I know actually plenty of established agents who don't desire to be too tech savvy. So mm-hmm. there's great gadgets out there. Is it really necessary? Uh, especially if you're starting out, I would say no. Have your spreadsheet. You need your phone. And in terms of tech, I mean, you need your database, which we talked about. Mm-hmm. But the most, the best way that that database is going to serve you is by taking good notes. That's really, regardless of where you're putting it, regardless yeah. of what tool you're using to put it in, the notes have to be pretty concise so that three weeks later, you have to pick up this same conversation as if it was yesterday. Right. And if you can't remember how it went, it's not going to go much longer. <laughs> So if someone's self-represented, they need to have decent marketing and they need to go out and they need to try to sell themselves, schedule the time, be prepared to follow up, keep good notes. If they do want to reach out to an agent, you know, maybe someone is ready to do more, you know, in the performing arts Mm -hmm. world, or they've got a little bit of history, a little bit of experience touring different projects. What are your pet peeves when artists approach you? What are the people that really uh, compel you? You know, what are the things that make you want to work with an artist, first of all, for them even to get an agent's attention? You talked about it already. You said it's got to be a good presentation. They've got to show some respect for you, right, and take time and make a good presentation. But is there anything else? Are there things that you see all the time that musicians are screwing up? Or (laughs) I mean, something as minor as not addressing me by my name, Mm. making me feel like I'm part of the bulk. Mm. Makes me feel like you're not serious about your intentions about joining my roster. Mm. Now that doesn't mean that I don't expect you to put your eggs in a couple of baskets. You very very much should. You should reach out to various agents because you just never know who's going to bite, who's going to take interest. But if I feel like I'm part of the bulk, then I, I don't even bother with it. Uh, yeah, so you're talking about when someone sends out a template email to 50 right. agents, and obviously they didn't even take the time to say, Dear Tiffany. Right, you or know, it's more like, hey, you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's interesting. So people can have a template email that they use that, you know, you can have a template and that's going to save you time. But it makes a huge difference. In other words, if someone addresses you by name and maybe even makes a really short statement to show that something about you, like, exactly. dear dear Tiffany, I have went to goodmanartist.com and I was really impressed by what you do. And I noticed that you work for the mayor's office in Chicago and I have a cousin in Chicago and, and, right. and then yeah. template email, the rest of the template, right? That makes a huge difference. That's great. That's a great point because a lot of us, we're trying to save time, so we will use a template email, but it's important to have some aspect of personalizing it in the beginning. I love that. And, and quite frankly, for me, it really is only the name. I don't, I mean, I, okay. I like to hear that so much. <laughs> you don't need to read my bio necessarily, but saying something more so to the fact I've seen your website and I felt that my project could be a fit for your roster because I see that you like, because I do talk a little bit in the bio about what I like yeah. and what my goals are. And for someone to have done that research and therefore feel like 
like they could be a fit draws my attention. Quite frankly, to no surprise, especially if you have a referral, if someone were to say, Tiffany, I heard your podcast. Um, mm-hmm. I thought I'd send you my submission. Yeah. I learned about you on Christian Howe's website. That would speak volumes to me as well, because I would know that that person dedicated their time. Well, hey, you know, I like this idea, actually. I'm going to go out on a limb here. You could, you could be, we could edit this out if you don't like this idea. But uh, uh, I'm going to challenge everybody that's listening right now to send a pitch to Tiffany and basically pitch Tiffany on being your agent. You know, send, send you, I think they could, <laughs> you will edit this out if you don't like this idea, but it would be Tiffany at GoodmanArtists.com. Or you could just go to GoodmanArtists, plural, GoodmanArtists.com and, you know, look at the contact or look for the artist submission process and reach out to Tiffany and see what she has to say back. See if, and and let, <laughs> let Tiffany have the opportunity to simply write a score. We'll, we'll say like, you know, or a grade. A, a, B, C, D, F, right? So based on the pitch, and this is going to be good feedback from you. This is really valuable, actually. Even for Tiffany to take five minutes to read your email or your submission is generous for her. And I'm and I'm going to ask her to just simply <laughs> send you back a response just with a letter grade, A minus, A plus, B, so that you can see what, and then if you want to develop more from there, then you can reach out to Tiffany and ask her for advice and you take it from there. Okay. So this is, this is, this is great. That's how you can maybe reach out to, to an agent. Now, what if you actually work with an agent? What should you expect from an agent? What should an agent expect from an artist? And what should an artist expect from an agent? This is really getting into the nitty gritty. From the very beginning, one of the quotes I have on my website is when you started a band, you opened a business. Mm. You opened a business. Mm. So you have to understand that when you're bringing an agent on, this person is about to become of your empire, of, of your team. Mm. Now, you have to respect that the agent perhaps has more experience and you're employing this agent because of their experience, because of the potential that they could do for you, because of the networking. So the agent will still feel perhaps like the one directing the whole progress, right? That's not much different. I explain it um, the same way as I hire an accountant to do my taxes. I hire the accountant. I don't feel like it's in my position to tell the accountant, well, you should do it this way. The whole reason why I hire the accountant is so that he can do his job the way he needs to do it for me. And as long as I get the end results, he can do it you know, with somersaults and I'm cool with that. And you have to respect the agent in the same fashion that you have to keep in mind that this is still your business. You still have to remain invested in it, both in time and money, but also understand that the agent is likely going to do things their way. So this really is about team. Um, that said, you actually mentioned this earlier, a, a lot of agents, managers, going after the artist that is well-established. Yes. And naturally, even for myself, that's going to catch my eye a lot faster than an artist who's totally new. How do you make up for that, though, if you're not established? Aren't there ways to make up for, I mean, for example, if, if an artist who wasn't established approached an agent, couldn't they make up for that by saying maybe they would pay like a retainer, for example, they might pay, well, I'll pay you hourly to make some phone calls for me. Or could they ask you to maybe negotiate? Let's talk about each scenario, actually. So let's say that an artist is 
totally not established, doesn't have a lot of history. And so the agent's like, well, I'm sorry, you just don't have enough experience. I can't work on commission for you because nobody knows you. You don't have your marketing materials together. Could they feasibly pay an agent by the hour? Is that something that sometimes that people do? Is that a good idea or a bad idea? Just just talk about that for a second real quick. If, you don't um, if we're specifically talking about by the hour, I actually would say it's a bad idea. And the reason is because we talked about this being a long-term investment. Mm. And to be quite frank, because we work on commission, an hour to me is very valuable because I never know what's going to happen in the next hour. Am I going to get my $5,000 commission? Am I going to get my $50 commission? And that said, I would much rather work where something is established versus not. So it's not going to be so much about, hey, I'll pay you even, you know, 50 bucks an hour. For me, that actually doesn't really do me anything. Got it. It won't do much. I don't feel like it would do much for the artist either because if the agent gets tired after a couple of hours, they say, okay, you know what? I'm done. Sorry, didn't work out versus that long-term commitment. Because, I mean, there are days, even in six hours, that I just might, for whatever reason, I'm just not getting the vibe. No one's interested. And that can weigh a person down. So So it might be valuable, though, in that case, for an artist to even pay for a consultancy, actually. It might save people a lot of time if they say to an agent, if an agent says, I'm not, you know, I'm not ready for you. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't want to work with you. What if I approached an agent as a musician just starting out? I think it would be valuable to approach an agent and say, hey, I just want to, you know, I want to take you out to lunch, but I want to pay you well for your time. And I, I want appreciate to... you adding lunch in there. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I want to take you out for lunch and I want to pay you well for your time. Maybe it's, I don't know, maybe it's a, a $200 lunch, you know, for me, because I have to, you know, pay for your time to get some advice. And then you're going to say, well, here are all the things that I see that you can improve. And if you worked on this, you know, for a year, I or another agent would be ready to, is that a good idea for an artist or not? Oh, I think it's a great idea. And as a matter of fact, that's how my consultations began. When I opened my agency, it was largely about promoting my roster, the booking calls, working on strategic planning, but it was all about the roster, perhaps going into artist submissions of what would come after that. But the way I started doing consultations was actually just in that fashion. Someone called and said, I heard about your agency. I'm this type of artist. Can you come and meet with me? And I figured, what the hey? Um, And I did. And it was kind of at that point, after talking to this musician, I realized, wow, I don't know if it's lack of resources. I don't know if because there are just musicians who might not be allocating their time toward learning the business, um, a combination of everything. But what I got out of that was the value for musicians that these consultations offer. Because in one hour, I, including like in this podcast, had given this artist so much information about how to go to the next step. He wasn't appropriate for my roster. He wasn't ready for my roster. But it gave him, one, a reality check for him to decide, you know, is this really something I want to invest in? I didn't realize what actually goes into it. And if so, what are those steps I need to take? Right. Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, the definition of insanity is doing the same thing and expecting to get a different result. So many artists are just not even getting advice from people that mm-hmm. are that they need to be getting advice from. So I think the three things you ask for are you either ask for advice, you ask for a referral, or you ask for a gig, depending on who the contact is. So this is a big thing. You could approach an agent and you could ask the agent, to do a consultation. And then from there, you know, if you show the respect of that agent's time by paying, you know, paying them, you know, well for their time, 
it may or may not land you on their roster. They may tell you about another roster that you would be appropriate for, or they may give you an idea about what you could do to go to the next level so that you are ready for an agent. I think that's such an opportunity people are missing out on. Again, I just want to encourage people, check out Tiffany at Goodman Artists. Dot com. Reach out to her. She's a great resource. She's been an incredible resource to me. All right. So another scenario, working with an agent. So let's say that you go to an agent and what if someone approaches you, but you're too busy or you don't feel like they're the right fit? Could they say, for example, they're going to keep self-representing, but then when they bring in an interested gig that they're going to ask you to then handle it only when they have a lead, like they've got this big concert series that wants to book them, but they don't want to botch it. They don't want to mess it up. So they could bring you in just to handle like the the hottest leads. Is that a viable way to do it? Do you mean working with an agent in general? Yeah. Frankly, I would not say so. And okay. and a lot of that goes to an agent being able to work at his or her full capacity. You always have to remember that because the agent is being paid on commission, and this is what is what really justifies, you know, artists might get frustrated that agents only go after the established artists, but this is why. It's because it's based on commission. And if you come and say, well, I don't have any dates. Well, what's, you know, whatever the commission is, whether it's 15 or 20%, what's 15% of zero? It's negative because I just spent all my time and I'm not getting anything back. <laughs> it's negative. I thought <laughs> you were going to say zero. Wow. It's less than zero. Yeah. So you're saying even if I came to you and I said, okay, well, I know you don't want me on your roster, but I've got this chance to play this big jazz festival. It's going to pay, you know, $2,000 and I just want you to handle the contract. You're saying it's just not, it's not really worth it for an agent to deal with that kind of one-off scenarios like that. Probably. I would say in general, no. I, now, quite frankly, that's a scenario that came up to me in a consultation mm-hmm. and it's not something that I offer as a specific service, but especially when I meet with the people in consultations, because they were actually the ones similar to how you did, who brought that type of scenario to my attention. Mm-hmm. If I felt good about the work and felt that I could do it, that I could represent it properly. Right. But this is a little bit different what we're talking about. And I think I was confused because what I, th- I thought what we were saying was if this person is on the roster, that the artist might still handle a couple of gigs and the agent will only take perhaps what's considered, you know, a oh, big gig. Oh, that's, no. what, that's what I was understanding. Oh, I'm um, sorry. I'm sorry. Yeah, no, what I meant was that you wouldn't necessarily fully represent an artist, but that you would handle gigs that were about to go into the contracting stage for them only, you know, as like... No, I've done it, actually. I've, okay. I've done it. And again, a lot of it comes from the consultations because there's a huge trust issue throughout this industry. It's not something that I do commonly. It's not something that I would necessarily promote as a service. But again, it goes back to me learning that perhaps aren't really a lot of resources for artists. And if that's something that I can assist with, even though that person perhaps might not be on my roster, I, as an individual, am happy to do it. Will most other agencies and agents be interested in doing that? Frankly, my guess is going to be no, just because there's so much in a cycle with their own roster. Goodman Artist is a boutique roster. I have six artists and they are all in different stages. So I find that I'm unique in that way versus someone who might have a total all-star roster with Yo-Yo Ma and Chikoria and you come in and say, hey, can you, you know, do this? And, you know, you're like so far away from where they're at. It's not, it's not going to be fruitful for them. Right, right, right. Okay, that's good. Let's say that a musician listening to this is going to go to an agent and they want to get a deal with that agent. One of the things you said was 
that the artist has to be ready to cooperate with the agent, mm-hmm. like to do it the way that the agent needs it done. The agent says, I need this, I need this, I need this. So the artist needs to be ready to cooperate and to listen to what the agent's telling them, right? And is this a problem that you think with a lot of artists that they come to an agency and they're like, okay, now you're my agent. You just get me gigs and I don't want to hear about it. Or it, yeah. it, does that happen a lot? Or what do you think? It happens more than it should, I would say. This is exactly where it will fall apart because again, the agent's working on commission and simply won't tolerate it. I like actually when an artist tells me, oh, I self-direct for whatever, because I know that they understand the effort that goes into making a phone call and the challenges that are involved. It tells me that they're pretty realistic. They're practical. So if you're ready to work with an agent and the agent is ready to work with you, what you should expect is that, for example, if you have leads, you your leads are being followed up on. There should be consistent communication. Maybe that's once a month every two weeks so that you both know what's going on. But that both in artistry, ideas that might be coming up and in the business and the calls. It's not really much different, I would say, in any other type of industry in that sense. You work bottom up versus top down. And the reality is, is the musician is the one at the top because the musician is technically the one paying everyone out of their artist fee. It's more important to allow that agent to work bottom up and inform you and both of you to agree to a timeline and find your flow. And it might not always happen with the first agent for whatever reason, because at the end of the day, these are all relationships. That's what's very unique about this industry is we're all in relationships. Um, I always joke that my roster is our musical marriages for me. Um, We all have to be dedicated to each other. We all have to be able to trust each other that each other's doing work. And if we don't have that, we don't have a solid relationship together. And these relationships, they can last forever and ever. Amen. Um, But you know, things can change. Um, They can be nasty divorces. They can, they can be amicable separations. And that happens all the times. Communication has to be concise. It has to be consistent. Emotions have to go on the wayside. It's really going to boil down to being a team. I love hearing the way you express all that. And from my vantage point, if I had to paraphrase it, (laughs) I would say, you know, most musicians, they expect the agent to do all the work and they think just because they're great at what they do, that then the agent is supposed to miraculously deliver gigs and (laughs) and give them constant reports and not take percentages from this or that and, you know, and only take, you know, commissions from, you know, certain gigs, you know, and all that stuff. You know, I feel like, Musicians are really unrealistic. And number one, they need to be accountable. You mm-hmm. know, they, they need to be accountable for being a part of the team. Number two, they need to, you know, like in any good marriage, like in any good relationship, you're only going to get what you give. Like you have to give respect to get respect. You need to bring something to the table to ask somebody else to bring to the table. You know, I, I mean, you know, JFK, I think somebody said, you know, ask not what your country can do for you, you know, right. ask, <laughs> ask what you can do for your wife, you know, which is what, <laughs> which is what my every good counselor is going to tell couples. That you're going to say, you know, you, you got to think about what can you do to bring something to that relationship every day. And I think it's really important in a relationship between an agent and an artist. But I see it from artists all the time that they have this misconception that they think, well, an agent should just go out and get me gigs because I'm great. 
and it's not going to work for you. So go back and talk about leads again, because I think that's a big thing. You're saying if a musician gives you leads that they can expect the agent to follow up on those leads, and then they can also expect the agent to be in communication and let them know about the progress. And then at what point, you know, is an artist still going to be on the phone and talking to people and generating leads, you know, asking people if they're interested? I mean, how does that work? I mean, is that what they should be still doing? That's a good question. I'll answer that one. But first, I want to note off of something that you had said that not only do I see too often where an artist might perhaps get lazy with an agent because, oh, the agent's there to do all the work. What's more troublesome is that they have that same attitude. The attitude travels also to the buyer. I mean, I've seen that a lot, too. Um, artists who feel like, oh, I've got this agent. Now this agent's booking me gigs. And like I mentioned earlier, especially if you're new, you probably got that gig because of your agent's name, not because of yours. So you have to also represent your agent in good faith when you're out there and working with the presenter. And I'm finding a little too often that, you know, presenters are saying, oh, but I, I need this material and I have these questions and we want the artist to come out and do a phone interview. And the, oh, I don't have time for phone interviews. You know, I'm, I'm, it's like, who do you think you are? You have to do this phone interview, not only not cooperating with the agent, but also not cooperating with the buyer. And that's a very short career right there. Randall Williams, I did a podcast with him. He's a successful self-represented artist, but he said that some of the people that he met on the road who were the most successful artists, he referenced Tuck and Patty, for example. He Mm -hmm. said that when he met Tuck and Patty at some festival, that they made every dinner and they were really polite and really actively engaged and listening, even when they met him. And And he was like, yo, hey, I'm nobody, you know, but Tuck and Patty, they gave me their full attention and consideration. And it sounds like what you're saying is that the artists, when they're out there on the road, they really have to be a people person. They have to be good listeners and just super polite, not groveling, but, you know, but respectful and cooperative being a part of the team, right? And that leads into what you're asking about sales. That is part of sales because these buyers, whether they're the board of directors who play an influence on booking you, they all will remember that moment. And the moment they're either going to remember was this guy was a total jerk or this guy was great. Like you said, he made it to every dinner. He was so great with the host. Oh, we can't wait to have him back. You're still selling. Hopefully it's the more natural part of you. Hopefully that's the more effortless part. (laughs) If you have to work a little too hard on it, um, you should really consider, you know, if this is the road you want to take, because this is, like I said, this is all about relationship. This is all about people skills. So that said, what should artist expect you know, with these leads? Will an artist still make calls? I would say on a regular basis, no. The idea of having the agent is, and the goal of having an agent is so that you can go back to art and you can go back to your instrument. So you shouldn't feel that you have to do the same amount of admin work, for example, mm-hmm. that the agent should hopefully be taking over for you. Mm-hmm. Now, one hour a day, should you dedicate it to your business still? I would say yes, because mm-hmm. you still need to be involved in it. And one hour a day in the grand scheme of things, considering we're talking 40-hour work weeks right. at minimum, already is not a lot to begin with. If it's all you can dedicate, don't let that stop you. Do as much as you can within that hour. Don't dilly-dally. Right. Maximize that time. Right. But understand that that's time should still, if we're talking an hour a day, should still be expected from you as an artist to read your emails, to know what your agent's talking about, to post something on Facebook, get a new YouTube video up. You still have to do all those things. Hopefully though, you feel you're feeling less pressure. One of the most important aspects is being done by the agent.
great. Well, I feel like we've covered a lot of territory and some of it's been sort of overview, but some of it's been diving in and, and hopefully tackling some misconceptions. For me, it comes back to, you know, having a service mentality and a service mindset. I mean, yeah. as artists, I think what we do, speaking as an artist, you know, as artists, I think what we do is valuable and it's important and it's meaningful, you know, and we should take pride as artists in the work that we do. But at the same time, we have to be humble and remember that we are providing services to people and that we have to be a part of the team and that we can't just, you know, put ourselves above everybody. And that's one of the big messages I want to make. I think also even in sales, as selling ourselves as artists, we need to keep that mindset also of, of a little bit of humility, you know, confidence about what we do, but also the humility of being willing to ask for the opportunity to serve. And if we're going to work with an agent, I feel like we have to have that same humility. Is there a point at which an artist should say, well, the agent's not doing their job for me? And what would be the, the red flags for you if that an artist should watch out for if they approach an agent? Oh, most definitely. And in any, any industry, you will land with people who are great workers and not so great workers. So I would say the big red flag is if you can't reach your agent. Oh. Um, that's <laughs> <laughs> You felt they've gone off the map. That's definitely a big clue. And actually, it's a common one that I hear from artists because for artists that I take on to the roster I and who may have had a previous agent, I always ask them, what do you feel worked really well in that relationship and what do you feel did not? And the number one has always been, well, I can never find him. I can never find her. Mm. Like, okay. It's hard to say return. Return is the most obvious. Return, you have to have, have a balance of time. If you are, especially again, if you're a new artist and you were fortunate to get an agent who really was passionate about your project and take you on and you get upset after five months that there's no bookings, it's probably premature. And if that's what you're basing your decision off, it's probably a poor decision. Now, if you are saying there's no bookings and I don't know how the market is reacting, that's a different story. Um, I am very vocal to my artist about how is the market reacting. Again, working with a new artist, especially, I will tell them, hey, we're probably not going to get any you know, solid bookings and tours happening for a good year, perhaps even year and a half. My job at this point is to make sure we're a product out there that's desired so that your time's not being wasted and my time's not being wasted. And that's simply determined by the responses I get from the presenters. And if the re response is, wow, this sounds really cool. Keep sending me info. I want to know more about it. Tell me if it comes closer. Um, I know I've got something solid. If the reactions I'm getting are like, yeah, not, no, not my cup of tea, I need to go back to the art and say, you know what? I don't know why something's going on. It's just not working. And your agent should feel comfortable and honest to share that with you. And if you feel that communication is not happening, that's something to consider. I mean, going back again to this idea of an artist developing leads, and there's different ways that artists could develop leads. It could be that they go to a showcase at a conference for an agent, or mm -hmm. it could be that they uh, do some kind of advertising, or that they just continue making phone calls or pass along their entire Rolodex to the agent, or they introduce the agent to some people that they know. I mean, that's one way to measure, I would think, the work of an agent is to say, hey, I passed you 10 leads. Could you let me know in a month what happened with all these leads in one way or another? And then and do you think that that's a good example? Yeah, definitely. You know, depending on how long of lists we're talking about, <laughs> what's likely not going to happen is an agent writing a report for you um, because right. they're constantly on the phones. And if they have more than one client, they're not filing so much 
based on you only within the database, but it's notes galore about everybody, especially talking about that early stage. So the short answer is yes, you should get some type of feedback and the feedback you should, if we're talking about specifically, it's the more than likely, um, especially at the beginning so that the agent can establish trust with you, will be a little bit more specific and open. Now, the musician has to be able to maintain their emotional sanity. Um, An agent has to feel comfortable to tell you the truth. Uh, An agent has to feel comfortable to say, hey, you know what? I know you told me that Rick was interested, but then he told me your project totally sucks. (laughs) Sorry. And then you You, can't go back to Rick and be like, why did you tell my agent? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And and you have to let that side go. You have, again, art is only art if it's subjective. You have to respect Mm, that. It's not always going to be right. So if that's the info your agent shares with you, don't go blowing up your agent. Don't go back to the call. respect what's happening. That goes back to what you said earlier, which was, I think you might've even said to respect the no or that you know, to, yeah, or exactly. to or accept the no. When you're going out there and you're pitching what you do, you're either going to get, yes, we love it. We want it now. Or you're going to get maybe not right now. Call us back later. We're not sure. You know, some variation of maybe, mm-hmm. or you're going to get a no, but any of those, you want to really accept that and kind of deal with that on its own terms. Right. And the reality is, is that is the goal of the phone call. Your objective at the end of the day on every phone call is to know one of those three things. And if that's a no, it's not for you to get upset about. It's for you to simply say, hey, this is now one less person I know not to spend my time on. And you should be grateful for that person being open and honest and saving your time. Because the reality is, is it could take you several phone calls, months, years to even know. Because if you get that maybe, the maybe list is, of course, the longest. (laughs) You don't know if that 15th phone call is worth it or not. But you're going to do it anyway because you could be losing out. I think there was at least one time when you told me about a scenario like that (laughs) where you made the 28th phone call and it panned out. Was It It did. (laughs) It was great. It was awesome. And that's a great example. I was looking at my database and I have made so many phone calls and I was asking myself like, oh man, should I really call this presenter one more time? (laughs) And I did and I closed on that call and and it was over a span of a decent amount of time, several months if I'm not mistaken. But it was a maybe and that maybe stayed on my list until I either got a yay or a nay. That's awesome. I love that. And it's a testament to your six hours a day (laughs) on the phone, six hours a day on the phone, out there pushing to try to get your artists work, but also to support yourself and your family to build your business that you've created on your own. It's such an inspiration uh, to me. You know, I'll just disclose to everybody that Tiffany Goodman, you've been working with me as my booking agent now for the last, <laughs> I, I think it's been three years maybe or something. something I, I don't yeah. even know. It's like three and a half or two and a half or something. But it's such a wonderful thing when you do have that relationship that develops and works. And when everybody's doing their part and, and working hard to support the entire team. And is there any final closing comments you'd like to make any way that people can connect with you or anything you'd like to let people know about or anything we might have missed? Sure. I think in closing, I will end with you got to be in it to win it. And you know, when I opened my business, one of my best friends told me, go big or go home to remind me because I, I mean, frankly, I had to make a big investment both in time and money to make Goodman artists happen. 
And she saw that there were times when I was intimidated and scared to perhaps make certain purchases, put my efforts in certain places. And she would always say, go big or go home Mm. to remind me that you either want this or you don't. Mm. The other thing that I noticed, and this is, again, something that I hope will help other musicians um, feel like they are establishing a business and being recognized for it, is when I first started Goodman Artist, if you would have asked me within the first couple of weeks, what do you do? My response would have been, I opened an agency and there's another person there. And what what was I doing? <laughs> I was preventing myself from announcing failure. If mm. nobody knew what I was doing, I would never mm. have to admit that it failed. Mm. And when I realized that I was being too cautious and that I wasn't going to get anywhere by having that attitude, when the next time a person said, what do you do? My name is Tiffany Goodman, and I opened a booking agency named Goodman Artist, <laughs> and it's based in Toronto, and I, and I stood on it. And because that wow. meant that the next time I saw that person, they were going to say, hey, how's your business going? Wow. And I had to have a response. Wow. Wow. You're keeping yourself accountable, in other words. Exactly. I remember what I was going to say earlier when I got all tongue-tied, and and it was – I think it relates to this, but you talked about persevering, staying the course, being accountable, announcing it to the world, like I'm doing this, knowing that it's what you want, going big or going home, right, which means going big and going for the long game. And we were talking about how when you get on the phone, you might get a no, you might get a maybe, you might get a yes, right? But that no, to me, it's feedback. It's an opportunity for feedback. I think we're going to wrap it up. I want to acknowledge you, Tiffany, for just all the incredible work you're doing for all your artists on the Goodman Artists roster and and everything you're doing for the industry. And certainly, you know, everything you've done to help me in my career. It's just been amazing. And also to thank you for sharing with everybody on this podcast today. And I want to tell everybody again, that they can reach out to Tiffany at goodmanartists.com. And you can find links at the show notes page at christianhouse.com. Do feel free to reach out to Tiffany and see if there might be a way that she might be able to help you. So yeah, thanks again, Tiffany, so much for spending your time late night after (laughs) a long day of already speaking on the phone for however many umpteen hours. I hope you enjoyed today's interview with Tiffany. And hopefully I didn't step on her answers too much. (laughs) You can probably tell this is a topic that I'm pretty opinionated about. I feel strongly about it having, well, I'm going to leave it at that. I want to thank you guys for tuning in and encourage you to be a part of the conversation. Reach out to Tiffany at goodmanartists.com or reach out to both of us on the comments on the the show notes page at christianhouse.com. Look for the show notes page. We've got Facebook comments. You can chime in. You can ask more questions. You can leave some comments, whatever it might be. We'd love to hear from you. And uh, you can always email me directly as well, chris at christianhouse.com. I do want to thank our sponsors yet again at The Electric Violin Shop. And you can find them at theelectricviolinshop.com slash creative strings. So we will see you real soon on the next one. Thanks again for tuning in.